Hey, welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and to trust Him more. To keep up with us or to get more information, visit celebrationchurchlive.com. Well, um, as we've kicked off this year, we want to we want to just start strong. We want to begin strong. Um, if you start at the beginning of the Bible, you very quickly see um, that God lets us know what happened in the beginning. So at the beginning, God. Everything we see and know, our sun that is doing its thing, feels like it's could maybe do it a little better today, but our sun that's doing its thing, our, our, our solar system, our galaxy, the cosmos as it spins at clockwork and the palm of the hand of God was spoken forth from the mouth of God. And so as you and I are beginning, it would make sense that then we would lean into what God has to say to you and I. If everything we can see with our eyes in the entire universe came from the mouth of God, then it makes sense that we would lean in to what God has to say. And we've been leaning in with this idea and this thought that life works best when we begin with God. We begin all the time. We just don't always do it with him. And so in this space, for you and I, people who are children of God, we want to make sure we include our Heavenly Father in on this. And we've been drilling down and looking at a place where Jesus spoke to us here in Matthew chapter 6, here in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, Jesus says this. He says, so do not worry. We're going to pause right there. Aren't you grateful that, that Jesus knows we worry? He's aware that we worry. He's aware that worry comes at us. Worry is a problem. Worry is a challenge for you and I. I'm so grateful that Jesus understands this as he's talking to what's probably his largest crowd. He's sitting there and telling them, recognizing that he knows where they're at. He knows their daily lives. He knows their daily struggles. And that worry is very much a part of it. There's some of you, you're, as you woke up this morning, your first thoughts were worry thoughts. Some of you, as you went to sleep last night, you go to sleep every night. Your final thoughts are worry thoughts that anxiety just begins to come in and create a grip. And from a heart of compassion, Jesus speaks. There's not a scolding tone in this, so do not worry. It's an encouraging tone. It's a tone of understanding I love you and I get where you're at and I want to speak to your daily life. And it says, so do not worry saying. Our worries are going to show up in what we say. You want to know what you worry about? Just replay your conversations. Replay what comes out of your mouth. Replay what happens. I guarantee, ask somebody close in your life, what do you think I worry about? They could probably nail it by just knowing what you talk about on a regular basis. Our words will reveal. And so in this, Jesus is saying, we're going to begin to use our words to craft and be aware of what they're crafting. Just like his heavenly father spoke the worlds into existence. And he says, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? These three questions have been a part of human existence forever. We go back to prehistory. 
we have Adam and then we have all of these things and, and then we get into a place where it doesn't matter where we jump into the human story. There are people who have been concerned with what are they going to eat, what are they going to drink, and what are they going to wear. It doesn't matter how much technology advances, how much humans discover on a scientific level. Every day, all of us are asking those questions. Still to this day, it's as relevant as the day Jesus spoke it. They're on the Sermon on the Mount. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? And what are we going to wear? It says, for the pagans run after all these things. Now, we don't use the word pagans. In fact, other translations use the word Gentiles. You know, and if you were a kid of the 80s like me, well, then you, you know, you think the pagans, you know, that, you know, they've got some sort of goat costume on, they've got a bucket of blood, you know, they've got some sort of upside down pentagram and those are the pagans. And, and, and so it's, it's not the reference here. It's just people who don't recognize or acknowledge the one true God. That, that's, what, that's what Jesus is talking about. People who don't recognize who God really is. Um, they run after all these things and your heavenly father he knows you need them he's aware of it he knows you need them so here he is he's letting us know that us relapsing into worrying about what we're going to eat what we're going to drink and what we're going to wear is rooted for you and I in the space of not being aware that God is aware that we need them it's rooted in this place that we think that, that God's not going to be a very good father. That was, this is somehow a burden we have to carry ourselves because he reminds us that your heavenly father, he needs them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and, and all these things, they're going to be given to you as well. As we begin to seek what he says is right, we get, eat, drink, where we understand those things pretty common, pretty every day. So we're supposed to not worry about those things, but then we're supposed to worry about his kingdom and his righteousness. Now that sounds kind of squishy and hard to understand, a little mystical and hard to wrap our minds around. All of a sudden I'm supposed to like not deal with these concrete things and I'm supposed to deal with these etherical things. And, and that's not the case at all. See, the, the kingdom of God is where God rules. It's not complex. It's where we let him rule. And then his righteousness is just what he says is right. So as we'll begin to seek him being in charge and us connecting with what he says is right, then all these things will be added unto us as well. Everything will begin to line up the way it needs to line up. See, I don't care what is kind of on your 2024 radar. Um, eating, drinking, and wearing is going to find its way into you pursuing your goals for 2024. Um, this year, they had done a, uh, some research at the end of December um, to find out what kind of what was everybody's priorities, what was going to be the, um, the big New Year's resolution, the number one New Year's resolution for 2024. Should not be a surprise to any of us in the state of the economy and a bunch of those different things. It was, it was financial stability. It was saving in particular, actually saving money, actually having resources set aside is the number one goal for Americans right now. Um, in years past, it's been physical fitness uh, or weight loss. One of those different things has, has been the number one at times. But right now, um, it's saving money. 
Well, let's say maybe you're one of those. Odds are that's, that was kind of a big thing on your mind. Um, well, guess what? Eating, drinking, and wearing is automatically factored into your saving goal. Why? Because it was one of the first things you did. We're not eating out anymore. Babe, we're going to be saving money, and the best way to save money is we are, we're not going to eat at Chick-fil-A anymore. Uh, God can provide for his own chicken. I'm not doing it anymore, and we're going to go, and we're not going to eat. We're not going to eat out anymore, and we're going to be able to save this money. We're, what are we going to What are we going to drink? Well, we're not going to drink Starbucks anymore, and we're going to not spend our $5.75 on a tall latte anymore every day, and uh, for some reason, um, the boomers think that the, all the world's problems could be fixed if lattes were not consumed at all, and uh, that's not going to fix it, but it will make a difference in your bank account. And so, and if you've got the, the, the number one goal, if you've got the number one goal for saving money, you're thinking about what you're eating. You're analyzing what you're eating. You're maybe even worrying about what you're eating, what you're drinking, and certainly what you're wearing. All of a sudden, some of you, as soon as your spouse pipes up about, we're going to save money, you don't care about the cutting back on the eating or the buying the drinks out while you're shopping. You just want to make sure you can go shopping. You're like, I still want to wear the fresh look. I still want to be able to do those things. And all of a sudden, now you have this budget mindset and, you all, and you're going to decide, wait a second, these jeans, I can wear them another year. It's going to be okay. I can wear my jacket another year. I don't have to have the new one that comes out. All of a sudden, now your goal for 2024 is including eating and drinking and wearing. Well, maybe your financial position is pretty solid and you're, you're one of the ones for physical fitness. You're certainly going to be wondering about what you're supposed to be eating. Yeah. I'm not going to be eating this. I am going to be eating some more of this. I, what am I going to drink? Am I going to drink the stuff that has the electrolytes in it? I'm not going to have any sugar, no more sodas, no more lattes. Uh, lattes make loves, so we, 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 we ain't doing that anymore. We, 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 we're sticking that sucker aside. And so, and, um, so we are, we're, we're not going to be doing that. Um, all of a sudden now, two different goals create two similar choices, but both came out of considering, worrying. All of a sudden now, what are we going to wear? The fitness person is like, what am I going to wear to the gym? Then what am I going to wear after the gym? So my swole shows up. Everybody can see I had a good workout. All of those different things. It's played into every space. Maybe you're on the other side and you're like, you know what? I've done the mess. I've tried to save. I've tried to get fit. No, I'm going to live my best life ever. I'm going to live the good life in 2024. I'm going to just, and then all of a sudden, if that's your goal, you're just going to just, yep, I'm just going to splurge and I'm just going to have the best life I possibly can in 2024. Guess what? It's going to include eating and drinking and wearing. You're going to go ahead and order the shrimp with the steak. You're going to go ahead and you ain't going to get one latte. You're going to get a morning latte and an afternoon latte. All of a sudden now you're going to get not just the new, the new uh, shirt. You're going to get shirt in three different colors because you don't want to be on Instagram in the same outfit twice. All of a sudden now 
it shifts, but it's still hitting eating and drinking and wearing. Jesus isn't just making something remedial. He's speaking about something that affects us in every area of our lives. No matter what you're pursuing, no matter throughout the the ages, eating and drinking and wearing, find their ways in there and Jesus says, quit worrying about it. If you'll seek first the kingdom, he's gonna add all of these things to you. That's why this 21 days of prayer and fasting is just so liberating. It is is so good. Because no matter what you're pursuing, eating and drinking and wearing, they're going to find its way in. So this fast is going to affect whatever it is. It's kind of be your top goal. You're going to have to put it to the side. The thing that you're just being driven for, you're going to have to park it on some level and say, God, I choose you. I choose you first. I want your way. And he's like, good, because... I've already spoken that if you'll seek me first, all these other things will be added unto you. And sometimes it feels like life is just all jumbled up. It's like all of these things trying to get through this door at the same time. And they're all fighting with one another. My finances are fighting with my relationships and and, and fighting with with my health goals and fighting with, with work and fighting. Everything's trying to go through the same entrance that at the same time it shoves its way through. And God says, you seek me first and all these things will be added unto you. You let him go through the door first and he's like, all right, come on eating. Come on drinking. Come on wearing. I'll take care of these things. And that's what he wants to do to your life. He wants to remove the clutter. He wants to remove the chaos. And this time of fasting allows us to be able to hear God in a stronger way. Pastor Keenan wrote a strong book and you can check on his website if you will need some more understanding on fasting. But fasting isn't what I had thought it was whenever I was... uh, Middle school, I thought fasting was this kind of this spiritual thing where you just like holding your breath until God moves. Like, I'm just going to stop eating until things just straighten up. And you know what? Um, that's a good way to die. <laughs> and that is not what God, that's not what fasting is. Fasting isn't trying to get God to move. Fasting is moving some of the things that's between you and God. <laughs> He's been speaking, he's been talking, and all of a sudden these things, and the Holy Spirit will tell you what's getting in the way. You can park a breakfast, you can park a lunch, you can park a dinner, you can park social media time and spend time with him. You can park some of your streaming shows and some of those things. You can, you can park your favorite hobby. You can park some of the things that free up time to connect with God. And it begins to transform, it begins to transform things. See, earlier in the sermon, the same sermon on the Mount, Jesus spoke this and he taught the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter five, verse six. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They'll be filled. He brings this up before he ever gets in the later on in the same sermon to tell you to not worry about what you're going to eat or drink. He sets up, you know what? If you'll just get hungry for righteousness, he'll make sure you get it. You get hungry for what God says is right and you're going to be filled. Psalmist writes in Psalm 34, 10, says the lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. 
Even the most powerful animal may struggle. One at the top of the food chain might struggle, but those who seek like no good thing. We don't have to claw our way to the top of whatever. We just seek God and he is going to take care of us. See, God will take care of you. And these other things you feel like are important, as you'll find as you're talking to God, he's gonna to talk to you about those things. As you begin to spend regular time with God and you get through some of the, the big things you've not been talking to God about, some of the emotional struggle, some of those things, he's gonna to talk to you about those. But then you get your, your relationship just kind of active and daily. You'll see he's talking to you about the things you're eating. He'll bring it up. He'll talk to you about it. He'll talk to you about what you're drinking. He'll bring it up. Times he'll even talk to you about what you're wearing. There are times I'll be get I've got, been getting ready for the day and we're pretty casual around here and I have to be sitting in my office studying for the scriptures and I'm just in a hoodie with a, hat, a cap on and that's the way I would rather be. And sometimes the Holy Spirit, as I'm getting ready, is like, nope, don't do that. Dress a little better, look a little, a little more like a pastor than a college freshman. And uh, and I'm like, all right, it means I got to do my hair and all that. And so I'm, I'll honor him and he'll talk to me about what I'm wearing. And sure enough, I'll get... I'll get a phone call or something will come up and I'm so thankful that I wasn't in a hoodie and a cap when I went to answer that response. Other days I could wear a hoodie and a cap. But the Holy Spirit will talk to you about all of it. The Holy Spirit will, will begin to lean on you and, and there's a space because he will talk to you about everything that's important. Cutie doesn't have to worry that I can seek God so much that all of a sudden she gets neglected. She don't have to worry about that because if I'm really seeking God, he's gonna to talk to me about her. He's gonna to talk to me about my wife. He's gonna say, hey, Brandon, you need, to be, you need to be a little more kind. Brandon, you need to be a little more patient. Brandon, it's been a couple of weeks since you've gone on date night. You need to reach out to your wife and say, hey, baby, get dressed up, we going. <laughs> He'll talk to you about those different things. Said, you know, Brandon, you need to buy her a purse. Now, like, get behind me, say. Now, this, uh, uh, the, the devil will try to interrupt your prayer time. He's not polite, and you got to know the difference. You have to know the difference between the voice of the Lord and the voice of the enemy. And it's like, I am not buying one of them purses. We, we're done with that. She already got two, so we, we're good. And so... But there's a space where as we begin to lean in him, he'll talk, he'll talk to us about the things that matter in our lives. And so we're gonna spend the rest of the morning together just really quickly hitting some of the basic principles um, of seeking God first. And the first one is, is we wanna seek him always, and that means anytime as well as all the time. Anytime as well as all the time. So we are just inviting God into the fullness of our lives. That is a, that's what seeking him first means. The passage of scripture that reminds us to pray continually. I had someone ask me one time, what does that mean to pray continually? And if you have your idea of prayer as being knelt by your bed with your hands like this at the end of the night, well then yeah, you can't do that all the time. And that's prayer. There's nothing wrong with praying like that. 
that's not the fullness of prayer. The fullness of prayer is recognizing that God is with us all the time and talking to him all the time, being aware that he is there, being aware of his presence, allowing him to speak to us anytime and us talking to him. As soon as we're frustrated about something, he's the first place we go. Amen. Cutie and I, when we, for our anniversary at the end of the, uh, the year, um, we went to uh, Pagosa Springs and it's about a 10 hour drive from here. And so we drove uh, just the two of us in the car and just drove to Pagosa Springs. And, and um, that entire trip and all but Sterling City back. I mean, it was just the, almost the whole, and I just had to turn something on because I was tired. And, uh, but during that whole trip, 10 hours there, nine hours of it back, we didn't have any radio on, no music on, no podcasts on, no, nothing on. It was just a quiet vehicle and the two of us just being able to stay connected. We did not talk for 10 hours straight. There would be 30 minutes of silence as we're both just, I'm driving, she's sitting there and then she would talk and I would talk. But the whole time, even in the silence, there was communion, there was connection, there was an awareness, there was a readiness to share and a readiness to respond. And that's what pray continually looks like. It's not that all of a sudden we put God over in a space and we we have to go to him or he has to come to us. So we recognize that he's always there with us and we keep that conversation rolling. As we look at first Chronicles 16, nine, we see that um, here it reminds us to, to sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of his wonderful acts, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength and seek his face always. And as we read that, that sounds like something we might put to music and sing. Like that sounds pretty joyous. That sounds like a lot of cool, wonderful stuff is going on. And we should seek God and connect with God in those times. If we're only waiting for a a place of, of hardship to talk to God, we're missing lots of opportunities to talk to God or maybe we're creating a lot of extra hardships because we didn't talk to him between hardships. But there's a space where we need to make sure that we are connecting and talking to him. But sadly, hardships come. There are places of of despair and difficulty. And here, as we look at Psalm 69, it says, I'm in pain and distress. I'm in pain and distress. And there may be somebody in the room who says, you know what, that's the first thing that's been said from that stage I identify with. And I'm here to tell you that God, God loves you and everything else I've said still applies to you too. And he sees that and cares. And here David is saying, he recognizes, I, I'm in pain, I'm in distress. And this is his conversation to God. He's telling God, I'm in pain and distress. May your salvation, O God, protect me. I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than any ox, more than a bull with its horns and hooves. This sounds weird to us, but this was during the sacrificial time with the temple, sacrificial worship. He's saying the, 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 the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate religious act 
God, me talking to you and lo- looking to you in my pain and distress, or you, you honor that more than any religious activity that could ever be done. Why? Because the enemy wants to bring pain and distress in our life to separate. And when you don't let the enemy do that, God's like, oh my goodness. Yeah, my kid. You get it. You get it. You get it. It says, this will please the Lord more than an ox, more than a bull with its horns and its hooves. The poor will see and be glad. You who seek God, may your hearts live. The Lord hears the needy and does not despise his captive people. Look at who was captive. It was his people that were captive. When you find yourself in a space that you feel captive, you're still his. You're still his. Just because there's a place that you're captive to a substance or you're captive to a habit or you're captive to a thought pattern or you're captive to these things, you're still his. And the enemy will try to come in and tell you, no, 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 no. If you were his, you wouldn't be here. If you were, if you were his, you wouldn't be here. But guess what? The psalmist understands. He gets it. He cries out. So the Lord hears the needy and doesn't despise the captive. There's a place where a lot of times our captivity is, comes from some decisions we made ourselves. And when you find yourself in that place, God knows how you got there. And he doesn't despise you. It's another lie the enemy will bring in and try to convince you that because you so participated in your own captivity, that somehow you're despised and he doesn't. He does not despise you. You can talk to him in that space and he does bring deliverance. We also need to understand that our time spent seeking God needs to be when we're at our best. Psalm 63, one says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. That Hebrew word earnestly, which means like with all vigor and, 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 and energy, um, it can honestly be translated the way the New King James translates it. And it says, oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My soul, my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty place where there is no water. And, and the Hebrew word can, can honestly go either way. It can either go earnestly or it can go early. And whenever I was uh, in, at ASU and excited about the things of God and and uh, I'd read, read scriptures like this. I was reading the New King James and I'd read like early in the morning while I rise up and seek thee. And there were songs that put that passage to scripture and so I'd sing them. And my, my pastor, John Holler, he was an early riser guy. He had worked on the railroads before he went into ministry and grew up on a farm. He was just an early riser. That was just the way he was. So in just in anecdotal conversations about his time with God, it was, it was early in the morning. And so I got this on myself that a real, if I'm going to be a real man of God, well, then I got to get up early in the morning to see God. Well, guess what? I'm not a morning person. I am not. I wanted to be. I'm just not a morning person. My dad, he's a morning person. He's all chipper and great in the morning. I'm wired like my mom. Like, give me two cups of coffee and a little space. And I'll get a slow warm up, you know, and then we'll, we'll be able to get, get rolling. 
But I tried. I tried. I, I walked under this, this weight that I had to get up early in the morning and see God. And so me and a friend of mine, um, we were on the 10th floor of the high rise at ASU and there was a study room that was set aside. So we would meet in there at six o'clock in the morning. That was early for me. Some of you are scoffing and saying that ain't early. I already done stuff by 6 a.m. Well, I've been asleep. So, um, so I'd get up at 6 a.m. The problem was, is we weren't smart enough to go to bed early. And so we hadn't, we hadn't got that much sleep. So we would be praying and we, I'd be, we'd be, I'd be doing my best to pray, but I wasn't fully awake. So then like random stuff is coming out of my mouth, like stream of consciousness stuff. It'd be like, Lord, I love you, Lord. I want to have a great day. Boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. Like, <laughs> like I'm, I'm stuff that dumb will come out. And then I've got a prayer partner hearing it. And then I'm sitting there and I'm like, Lord, and I spent a lot of my time just repenting because I wasn't lucid enough. I wasn't awake enough to be able to actually engage in prayer. And I talked to my pastor about it. I was like, I'm trying. I'm terrible at early morning stuff. He's like, Brandon, you see everything else in the scriptures that we're called to give God our best. Why would you not give him your best hours? Why do you give him those hours when you aren't your best? That was so liberating for me. Man, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I tell cutie hi, I acknowledge she exists, but we don't have our deep conversations right when we wake up. We're, we're more late night people. We'll have a good conversation, 9, 30, 10, 11, 30 at night. So I acknowledge God, I talk to him. I don't, it's not that I'm prayerless in the morning, but my best connections with God, they happen later in the day. If you're going to connect with God, give him your best. Yes. Take the weight off to try to be something you're not. Give him who you are. If you're, if you're really sharp later in the evening, give him those moments. If you're really sharp in the afternoon, you're like, well, I'm at work. Structure your break. Structure your break to give him some of your best moments. Your sharpest, clearest moments. Structure your break to be able to do that. If you're a morning person, well, then there you go. I'm so proud of you. I wish I was you. And so, but give him your mornings. Do those things. But, but we want to lean in to him. The next things we need to do is understand these things. We need to know that God wants to spend time with you. So clearly laid out. Acts 17, 27. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. They're the three omnis of God. We begin to understand God. We understand he's omnipotent. He's all powerful. He's omniscient. He's all knowing. But he's omnipresent. And sometimes those things we think like, okay, God's everywhere and he's just like checking on everything and like looking at everything and trying to catch me messing up. No, God's nature exists for our good. He's omnipotent, so there is nothing we come against he's not powerful enough to handle. God is omniscient, that there's no, no thing we can come against that he doesn't have wisdom to be able to lead us. And God is omnipresent, so there's nothing we go through he's not present for. He is omnipresent, so that he never misses a moment of your life. He never misses a moment. He's never in the other room when something happens in your life. He is always right there, and that's why he wants us to be able to lean into him and look to him. 
Luke 19.10 says this, for the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. Well, if he wants us to seek him and the son of man came to seek us, well, as soon as we do that, we're on a collision course. He has designed the whole thing for connection. He's designed the whole thing for connection. And then we also need to recognize that God wants to respond to you. Hebrews 11:6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. I love the way the message translation puts it. It's impossible to please God apart from faith. And why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe both that he exists and that he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. Cares enough to respond. We have to have that alive in our hearts. Well, since he wants us to seek him and he wants to respond, then what's the hurdle? What gets in the way? Why do we not seek him the way we should? And we're shutting down with this truth that of all the layers, it really comes down that ultimately it's always our pride that keeps us from seeking God. It's our pride. You and I, we would never say that. We would never say, God, I didn't go to you because I thought I had it handled. Honestly, I didn't think I needed you. Thought I was pretty great. We wouldn't say that to God. But the fact that we didn't turn to him and look to him, there was this narrative. There was this inner monologue that's taken place, even sub, on a, sometimes a subconscious level, that we think we've got it. And then we don't. And then we finally say, hey, God, I need to talk to you. But the reason we weren't seeking him to begin with is pride. We just think we're kind of okay until we're not okay. And pride shows up in a second way too. There's another time we don't seek God and it's pride is what's creating it. And it's the time where we don't feel like we're worthy to. We don't feel like we're worthy to talk to God. And here's the way pride shows up in that. Pride shows up in the fact that all of a sudden now you've made yourself so good at sinning that God can't handle it. That you sin so magnificently, God cannot handle your sin. And in that space, you have now made yourself bigger than God. You have created a place and that doesn't exist. The scriptures say where sin doth abound, grace much more superabounds. It just always overtakes it. We just have to embrace that superabounding grace. And there's a liar in your ear that says, you know what? You created your captivity. You've been stupid. You've done this. You're not worthy to talk to him. How dare you tell somebody in the mess you're in that you're even aware God exists? That is a lie is to hold you back from the truth and the grace that sets us free. See, John 5, 30, this is Jesus talking and he says, by myself, I can do nothing. <laughs> Seriously, Jesus? If Jesus says by himself, he can do nothing, guess what? That means you and I by ourselves, we can do nothing. By ourselves, we can do nothing. 
I judge only as I hear. So I'm only gonna let the Holy Spirit speak to me. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go with what he says. And my judgment is just for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. How do we walk like that? Seek him first and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto us. Our bottom line this morning is this, that any time is a good time to seek him. Thank you for listening to this message from Celebration Church. You can keep up with all that God is doing here at Celebration by following us on Facebook and Instagram.